Starting today a new series, Forward by Faith, as we begin to look uh, in the book of Nehemiah. And today will be more of kind of a, a time to uh, set the foundation and to uh, kind of lay the, the backdrop. So as I think about this, many of you often, I'm sure, have seen, as I have, as you're watching movies or something like that, sometimes at the beginning of the movie, it'll say, you know, September 1981 in Buffalo, New York. And it, it, that already kind of sets the stage of, okay, you know, where is this at? When is it? Uh, what might, you know, I expect? If I were to tell you, you know, think New Year's Eve, New York City, New York. Already you, you kind of have in mind, okay, I, I, we know what happens on New Year's Eve in New York City, New York, and it's going to be cold. There's going to be thousands of people there. And, and in that way, there's, the setting is laid uh, for, you know, what's about to happen. When I say the Chronicles of Narnia, just the word Narnia brings the whole idea, for those of you who are familiar with that, either with the books or with the movies, uh, know that just the word Narnia uh, it's not, uh, you know, Atlanta, Georgia. It's not even the reality that we know. It's the land of Narnia. So it sets the stage. It sets the backdrop. And I want to do that uh, this morning with Nehemiah as we uh, have done several studies in the New Testament, gone through the book of Colossians, gone through the book of uh, James. We've done uh, a study on Christology or the doctrine of Christ. Uh, we have also looked, though, back in the Old Testament some at the life of Joseph but I want to set the, the stage as we look into the Old Testament and uh, look at parameters. Uh, how do we do that? Is it worth even looking into the Old Testament? And so the question has been uh, made even more important, I would say, in recent years. Why study the Old Testament? Why should we even study the Old Testament? You know, the New Testament, it seems, has so much, you know, practical advice of how to live and how to deal with discouragement and how to deal, you know, with, uh, with even parenting. There's marriage uh, advice in Ephesians 5. There's all these practical things in the New Testament. So why study the Old Testament? Some claim that it's not important. Uh, even some prominent uh, pastors and some prominent churches claim, yeah, it's, it's really not that big of a deal anymore. It's mainly the New Testament. And the Old Testament, well, it's not quite uh, that important. But, you know, it, the Bible is not either or, it's both. So it's not either the Old Testament, as unbelieving Jews would hold, you know, the, the Old Testament is the only thing that's worth looking at, nor is it even as some professing Christians uh, would say, well, it's just the New Testament that is uh, important and matters to us. No, it's both. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament complete what we know as Scripture, as the Bible. Prominent pastor, and again, this is my effort uh, and, and goal this morning is not to throw anybody under the bus. It's not to uh, badmouth any, any church, but to bring to light the risk of the of kind of modern thought of well just focus on the new testament just just preach and teach about things that um, are, are are very practical to today giving the the thought that the old testament isn't important one prominent pastor said this i am convinced for the sake of this generation and the next generation we have to rethink our apologetic as christians and the less we depend on the old testament to prop up our New Testament faith, the better because of where we are in culture. That's dangerous. That's a dangerous uh, thing to, to, you know, to, to start and to believe and to, to begin teaching. Um, 
another pastor writes as he's commenting about kind of this idea. And, he's, and he says really in, in a lot of ways, he says the issues actually reach deeper. So he's confronting this, this bad thought and this, uh, this bad uh, idea of the Old Testament. It's not quite as important. He says, no, the issues actually reach deeper. In recent years, this popular preacher has encouraged getting over the Bible tells me so. Uh, This prominent preacher actually claimed in 2016 that the church veered into trouble when it began to make its arguments on the basis of the Bible. He cited deconversion stories in which people told him that they lost their Christian faith when they lost confidence in the Bible. He said, the prominent preacher said, if the Bible is the foundation of your faith, here's the problem. It's all or nothing. Christianity becomes a fragile house of cards religion. That is dangerous. That is edging closer to heresy. Because the Bible is the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Uh, We can't do an either or. It is both. So an increasing number of professing Christians either question the validity of the Old Testament accounts. Or they may minimize the importance of Old Testament teachings. Or they may even just allegorize much of what we see in the Old Testament, even including the creation story. Well, that's just a a story. Every culture, every people have had, you know, kind of their, their, their idea of how this went about. That's not how we should interpret Scripture. Now, there's context, and there are some things that are meant to be uh, symbolic and allegorical, uh, but when plain sense makes, uh, when common sense makes plain sense, that's how we should interpret Scripture, and not always try to allegorize everything, especially when it use, uses like specific numbers and days, and this, is, this and this were the first day and second day, and, uh, and there was morning and evening. These are signals that we need to understand. This is a passage that is talking about a literal six days of creation. So we need to be careful that we're not questioning and minimizing and allegorizing much of the Old Testament because it's not necessarily always easy to fit in our our mode and our modern thought. Some of the following truths show that it's important to study the Old Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament together make up the complete Bible. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 7, 17 through 19. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament make up the complete Bible. And unless we're in doubt, you know, there's a pretty good uh, source that we can go to, and that's God the Son, Jesus Christ, and how he even used and referred to uh, Old Testament scriptures. So look with me in Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 19. Do not think, Jesus says, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, go ahead just a little bit in the New Testament to Luke Chapter 4, Luke 4, and verse 17 again. 
Luke 4, 17 through 21. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is talking about it was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And then in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus again and again ties Old Testament truths and prophecies to, to the writings that were being, you know, going to be written soon under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then uh, chronicling the beginning of the early church in Acts, and then using Paul and Peter to write, you know, the, the epistles and uh, James and Jude, you know, throughout the rest of, of the New Testament. Look with me again then in John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5. In verse 39, Jesus often, we find him often rebuking the religious elite of his day because unfortunately many of them had adopted a very legalistic view of salvation, that salvation was, was no more than just following a set of rules and, and uh, doing all these actions or not doing certain things on certain days. And, but we see Jesus confronting the religious elite often. And notice what he says in John 5 and verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Now, when Jesus said this, could he tell them, hey, um, turn to Romans chapter 6 and notice, you know, how all of you are sinners, but how, you know, the gift of salvation, uh, it, it is a gift, but the wages of sin is, is, uh, is death. Could Jesus do that when he said this in John? No. So he's referring back to Scripture, to Old Testament writings. He's saying it's those, it's those Scriptures, it's those writings that give witness, that testify of me. So anything that gives witness, that testifies, that begins to unravel more and more the story of redemption from Genesis all the way through Revelation, then we should never say, well, it's not that big of a deal. And sometimes maybe we should just kind of leave that behind because it can be an obstacle, it can be a little difficult. There's some difficult passages, there's some difficult things that, that in our modern world seem like, well, you know, was God really just? Is God really loving? Well, Jesus seemed to think that the Old Testament was certainly important and crucial to the gospel. But not only Jesus, we see the New Testament preachers throughout the rest of the New Testament who also made many references uh, look with me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to be ready to kind of bounce around in this passage. I'm going to just highlight a few things because it's a fairly long passage. So we won't read the whole thing. But Acts chapter 2. And anybody remember, we were talking earlier about context. What happens in Acts chapter 2 that is pretty important for the history of the church? The Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost. So this is, a, this is a big moment. This is very foundational. And yet Peter references back many times to the Old Testament. Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. But Peter, 
standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. It's tying back to the Old Testament. Jump ahead to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains uh, of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 25, For David, Old Testament, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Still in Acts 2, jump to verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, Old Testament, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So he's attesting to the fact Peter's saying, yeah, David was important. Old Testament, there's a connection here. But we all know David came to the end of his life. He was buried, and we know that. It's a fact. Being therefore, verse 30, a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, Old Testament prophecy, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David, Old Testament, did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, and he's speaking to people who were very familiar with Old Testament scriptures. I mean, that was their Bible. That is what they had. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter, in the day of Pentecost, uh, many, many of us, I, I believe that is, is certainly kind of the beginning of the, the church as we know it. And th- on that very important day, Peter finds it important enough to reach back in the Old Testament, talk about the prophet Joel, Joel talk about King David, even as he prophesied the resurrection of Jesus Christ, David's Lord and our Lord. Old Testament, uh, we're not just law-fulfilling uh, people. Old Testament, there were Old Testament believers. Now, we often talk in terms of Christians, and they were first called Christians at Antioch, we see in Acts. But as we look back, they were also redeemed by faith. Abraham, it talks about being redeemed you know, by faith. The whole book, or the whole chapter of, of Hebrews 11 goes through many Old Testament individuals talking about their faith. So Peter found it important. Now, notice how Stephen also found importance. Acts 7. I won't read verses 1 through 50 because it'll it'll take some time, but in verses 1 through 50 of Acts 7, Stephen talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, 
Joshua, King David, King Solomon, and the building of the first temple. All in Acts 7, the first 50 verses. Do you think Stephen felt that the Old Testament was important? Absolutely. Acts 7, 51 through 53. Go ahead and read this with me. Acts 7, 51 through 53. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Referring back to many of, much of the unbelief of some of the Old Testament uh, Jews. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Stephen found it very crucial to go back to the Old Testament, set the stage, and said, this Jesus, this righteous one, is the same that was written about all through the Old Testament. Paul, in the same way, we see in Acts 13, verses 16 through 30, or 16 through, goodness, uh, 41. And I'll, I'll, again, we'll kind of glide through here pretty quickly, so follow along with me as we highlight some of the phrases. Verse 16 So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. We're in Acts 13. So Acts 13, now verse 17. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. Paul is not just, he's not just a history buff, but he's saying this is important that you understand the background and what God has done and and his plan of how he has been unraveling and and extending his plan and his sovereign purposes. And for about 40 years, verse 18, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. Verse 20, we see that he talks about judges until Samuel the prophet. Verse 21, we see that he mentions uh, uh, that Israel had asked for a king and God gave them Saul. Verse 22, it mentions David that became their king. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Linking David and the promise and the prophecy to now the, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who came in the offspring of David. Verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Wow. Paul's saying, listen, you, you read the prophecies. And you read them like every Sabbath, but you, some of you were even used, you fulfilled those prophecies in condemning Jesus. The prophecies that you read and you teach, some of you became the fulfillment of the crucifixion in not believing. And then verse 33, he mentions, as it also it is written in the second psalm, verse 35, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes 
is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Thus, again, one, one more time, making an important connection to, yes, you had the law and you had Moses and you had these prophecies, but all those things were like road signs pointing to the coming Messiah. And those who believed and looked forward in faith to the coming Messiah were saved by faith. And now as the Messiah has arrived and is here, also salvation is by faith in him. So both the Old and New Testaments complete scripture. Secondly, why is, it, why is it important? The Old Testament includes foundational truths about God and man. The Old Testament includes foundational truths about God and man. We see the, tri- the triune God as creator. Right in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, then God said, let us, plural, make man. Let us Make man. We see then triune God as creator. In the same verse, we see that man is the only creation made in the image of God. We are not animals. We were made differently. We were made in the, in the image of God Almighty. The same verse, Genesis 1.26, let us, triune God, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And those are things that Calvin says when he goes hunting and fishing. He said, yes, I am having dominion <laughs> as I hunt and I fish. Right, But it shows, I mean, it's just a simple thing that says, yes, we're not to be wasteful, we're to be good stewards. Uh, God has provided much of creation for our enjoyment. We are to be good stewards of that and not, not frivolous. But we are made in the image of God. That is crucial to so much else that we understand about life and our worldview. If we miss that, if we miss that, one, that, that God, the trained God exists, and then if we miss that we were made in God's image, the rest of our worldview will be totally skewed. So the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis 1, is foundational, is super crucial. We see God's attributes. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. We even begin to see God's attributes being explained and displayed. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So we see in in the Old Testament some of these attributes beginning to be displayed and shown by God's dealing with his people. We see man's sinfulness. Eve chose to believe a creature, a serpent, rather than her creator. Adam followed and, and Adam sinned. Imagine their, how brokenhearted they must have been when they saw their firstborn kill their secondborn. How devastated because of sin. We read of the Tower of Babylon. We're saddened by the moments of Moses' you know, indiscretion when he loses his temper 
different occasions. Another point when he gets drunk. We're surprised to read how selfish King David became at one moment and in his adulterous affair with Bathsheba was even led to, uh, to, to orchestrate events that was a, a murderous trap for Bathsheba's husband. We learn of man's desperate sinfulness, that our heart is desperately wicked. Wicked, who can know it? But we also see David's confession in Psalm 51 and sincere confession to God and how God is gracious and merciful in his forgiveness. Not only do we learn important things about God and man, the Old Testament also includes crucial prophecies of Jesus, the coming Messiah. Look with me in Luke 24, 44 through 46. Luke 24, 44 through 46. Yep, Luke 24 and verses 44 through 46. Then he said to them, Jesus, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus is saying, wow, the law of Moses is crucial. Uh, The prophets is crucial. The Psalms is crucial. These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He's drawing from the Old Testament and saying, That's, It was talking about me. It's talking about this. It's talking about my coming, my death, burial, and resurrection. Isaiah 53, one of the verses that God used in my life. You know, all you like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God used that verse as a young child to understand, I am a sinner, but Jesus Christ took upon himself my sins, and he paid for that iniquity. Old Testament. Look with me in Acts chapter 8, 26 through 35. Acts 8 and verses 26 through 35. Philip has an encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch is not reading the bestseller, you know, that Lifeway put out. Um, The Ethiopian eunuch isn't reading a self-help book. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah. Notice what happens in verse 26 of Acts 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Uh, who can describe this, his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then notice verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about who? From the Old Testament. So he's in, he's in Isaiah. The Ethiopian eunuch has questions. Who's, who's Isaiah talking about? Philip says he's talking about Jesus. So we see there's certainly very important prophecies of Jesus, the coming Messiah. We also see one other important truth of why we should study the Old Testament is the Old Testament includes positive and negative life lessons. I'm thankful that this was not just a normal uh, uh, human work. Because if I were going to write about my life, I wouldn't write about the mistakes. I wouldn't write about the times that I lost my temper. I wouldn't write about the times where I, I chose sin. I would put the glorious things. I'd put the great moments, you know, like we do on social media often. I, I would choose those things. But God saw fit to include positive and negative life lessons, and many of them are in the Old Testament. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy 3 and verses 14 through 17. Paul is talking to Timothy here. And he says in verse 14, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, Old Testament which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy wasn't reading, uh, you know, through the book of Romans. Timothy wasn't reading, you know, the first few chapters of Ephesians about our position in Christ. Timothy had, gr- had grown up learning much of the Old Testament sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, verse 16, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, or for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, those of you who have been a part of our our church plant know that I, I am absolutely convinced that this has the answers for the problems that we face in life. There are many, it's, it's, it's so full of practical application. It does help parents relate to their children. It does help husbands and wives relate to each other. It does help coworkers know how to love their neighbor as themselves. It does help mankind to understand that God as creator can be not only our creator, but can be our father. But Along with all of that, it, those things are not only in the New Testament. There are many truths and treasures, and even things, more, most importantly, things about God Almighty that we find in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would look here, Paul gives us an idea of why it's important to, to see this in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 through 10. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. So Paul had just talked about how many, you know, uh, had, had not believed 
in, in the Old Testament times. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So Paul says, yes, you do need to think about what many of them did and their unbelief and, and then determine, no, I, I will not follow that same model. Think of the contrast between Joseph and Samson. Yes, Samson had some highlights, and he was even included in the, in the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews 11, so he did exercise some faith for sure, but there are many negative life lessons that we learn from the life of Samson, and you compare Joseph and Samson, you can learn so many positive things from Joseph and many negative things from Samson. As kids, maybe some of you who grew up in church, you might have sung the song. I'm kind of uh, showing my age here, but the, the 12 spies, you know, 10 were bad and two were good. That's part of the Old Testament. That we see how two were God-fearing and two, even though they saw, you know, giants and they saw what seemed overwhelming to them, they were, they were like, no, God has said, God has sent, and let's do it. And 10 were like, whoa, step back. Did you, did you see? I mean, were, were you, do you know? Ten were bad and two were good. We learned that in the Old Testament. Hebrews 11 talks about the faith of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, David, Samuel, and then many others that were highlighted for us to follow Hebrews 11. So I hope that is an encouragement to, even in your personal reading, the New Testament is great, but don't stay only in the New Testament. Read in the Old Testament. As you have questions, as you come across some of the difficult passages, study through that. Learn more about God. Learn about his justice, but also learn about his mercy. Learn about how the chosen people, the, the nation of Israel, oftentimes would, would have these cycles of fearing God and obeying him and then rejecting and being punished. And think about how, does, how do I do that? How does that happen even to today, to humans, as we're enslaved in sin today, but as we follow Christ, we're freed, as the truth makes us free, John 8 says. So lastly this morning, a few things, this is kind of an overview. What can we learn from Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah? What can we learn from the book of Nehemiah? Well, first of all, this isn't necessarily an order of importance, but I think commonly our first thought is, oh, we can learn about leadership. Build the wall. It's Nehemiah. We can learn about leadership. And there are many leadership truths that we can learn from Nehemiah himself and throughout the book of Nehemiah. He leads by faith. We'll examine the life of a man who had a secure position as cupbearer. He was comfortable. He had a, a special position even, but yet as God made it clear to him that he had a different task for him to follow, not knowing how all that would play out, Nehemiah was ready to follow and to lead by faith and also lead others to do the same. Leading by faith is, and we'll, we'll see this, um, it, it wasn't 
as we read about it now, like, oh, man, it was so you know, encouraging, exciting. Well, he didn't know what he was going to face. He didn't say, okay, well, I'll stay here. You know, I, I've got this important position, and I'll just stay here, and I'll, I'll kind of do this virtually. You know, I'll, uh, I'll kind of you know, just manage it from a distance. Michael's playing on a little soccer team, and I, I didn't really volunteer for this position, but I, I filled in for a practice, and, and all of a sudden, um, the coach of his team says, yes, and David Huffman is our official assistant coach. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. I don't know a lot about soccer, but, uh, but one of the games, I was standing next to him and, and just trying to you know, learn a little bit, and he can't be there for everything, and, and so he needs some help. But he's, during the game, he says, yeah, he said, I've got a proxy coach. I'm like, oh, he said, yep. My wife's over there on the sideline saying, put this person in. This is what you should do, texting me all through the, all through the game. So he, he has a coach. He has me as an official assistant coach. But I think his wife is even more involved sending texts. This is what you need to do. Put this player in. Where do you do that for? Now, March Madness, you know, is going on. Some of you may be doing that in your, in your sofas right now, in your armchair. What? What do they do that for? Call a timeout. You know, what? Oh, what a... Or during the football season, you, you know, you're an armchair quarterback, this, the phrase is called. Nehemiah was not one of those men. As God made clear the, the, what needed to be done, Nehemiah led by faith. He led by example. He got in, he got in the mix. He, was, he got in the work. He didn't just call the shots. He was ready to lead by example. He, he led forward in spite of opposition. We'll see throughout the book of Nehemiah that he faced external opposition, but he also faced internal opposition. We'll see that there is even some corruption going on from the rich Jews to the poor Jews. And Nehemiah certainly expected some external opposition, but I'm sure he was disheartened as he saw men of his own mistreating others. But he led by faith and led forward in spite of opposition. But what I, what I hope will become very clear as we go through the book of Nehemiah, we won't do verse by verse because it's narrative. So we're not going to go through you know, verse by verse and look at all the, the genealogies and, and parse out, you know, well, what does this mean? And we're, That's not what we'll do. So those are some of the parameters of our study. But as we go through, not only will we see leadership truths, but we're going to see lordship truths. We're going to see what, what God, Nehemiah's God was all about. We'll see God's power. Even after the Lord used Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple, Solomon was used by God to build the first temple. Zerubbabel was used to rebuild the temple. But then 70 years passed, and the walls remained in shambles. But yet in 52 days, God used Nehemiah and the group that Nehemiah led to complete the building of the walls around Jerusalem because of God's power and God's favor. We see God's sovereignty. You know, in God's sovereignty, Queen Esther became the stepmom to Artaxerxes, who Nehemiah would later serve as cupbearer. Could it be that God used Queen Esther to, and her influence to maybe be a part of King Artaxerxes being willing to even fund some of this building project? We see God's justice. The whole story of Nehemiah exists, of the book of Nehemiah exists, because the people of Israel had this cycle of 
fearing God and then rejecting and fearing and rejecting. And so they had been sent into exile. We see God's justice. God is a God of love, but God's a God of justice. We can't, we can't live and think that in our modern world that, oh, anything goes. You know, no matter what I do, no matter, you know, how we act, it's all about God's love. Yes, God loves us unconditionally, but he doesn't want us to stay that way. He doesn't want us to be enslaved by our sin, and God is a just God. But then we also learn about God's love. This wasn't about just a nice wall around Jerusalem. But as he gathered his people back together once again, and the, the, the rebuilt temple, and then the safety of the walls, all of this was to help the, the nation of Israel and those, the remnant to come back together and understand, yes, God is with us and is still working. God's love. So as we, the next few weeks, as we look through this, this study and as we see what Nehemiah, how God used him, May we be convinced and reminded, yes, the Old Testament is worth it and it's important. And not just look at a man, but look at the God of that man, the God of Nehemiah, and learn about these things, his power, his sovereignty, his justice, and his love.